Rogers under center. Takes, fakes the handoff, bootlegs right, dumps it off right side. Bennett's got it right side, line 40 to the 30. He breaks a tackle and is written down inside the 25-yard line of Seattle. And there is your dagger. It's 8.36. Jeff Wagner, Wayne Larrabee, the Monday morning quarterbacks. We're back. Our Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 414-799-1620. If you have any questions or comments to direct to the voice of the Green Bay Packers, Wayne Larrabee, this is your chance. Wayne, good morning. Wayne? Good morning, Jeff. Hi, Wayne. Hey, um, <laughs> what a great way to start the year, huh? Oh, just tremendous. A uh, great football game between two of the best teams, heavyweights in the NFC. Wayne, I, going into the season, one of the concerns that people had was the Packers' defense. Is, is it going to be improved from last year? I know Seattle has some problems, like on the offensive line, but it, was that as great a defensive performance in person as it appeared when I was watching on a television? Yeah, it was very impressive, and right from the get-go, you know, when Nick Perry uh, beat the left tackle right off the get-go to pressure Russell Wilson, they didn't sack him on that particular play, but that kind of set the tone, and Mike Daniels and that defensive front seven of Green Bay played the game on the other side of the football, which is great to see, and and that disrupted the ground game, and it put pressure on Russell Wilson all day, and, and I thought that was a very fine performance. I know the Seattle offensive line is not one of the better lines in the league by a long shot, but none Nonetheless, you still have to go out there and beat that line, and that's what they did. I, I also thought, Wayne, that the whole secondary played well. I mean, there there weren't that many big plays. I mean, obviously, there were a couple, couple completions and things, but it, it looked like the secondary, to me, was vastly improved. I thought they competed very well. Uh, that nitro package that Dom Capers put in there with a safety in the box and an extra safety in the secondary, I think that worked really well. And um, this is a team that, you know, I know it's only been one game, but from what we've seen in the OTAs and training camp, and you know, um, this is going to be an improved defensive secondary. It had to be. They were 31st against the pass last year. But I think you saw, you know, again, Russell Wilson and those receivers, Doug Baldwin, uh, Paul Richardson, Tyler Lockett, that's an explosive group. You're going to see them score a lot of points and pile up a lot of yards this season, but they didn't do that yesterday. You know, Wayne, on the offensive side of the ball, I I thought, just again, from a layman's point of view, one of the things that turned it around is it seemed in the second half they went to more sort of quick-hitting plays, three-step drops, um, things like that, as opposed to having Aaron drop back the five- and seven-step pass. But they, they really started playing well in the second half, the offense. Yeah, I thought, you know, Jeff, that's very perceptive on your part to pick that up on TV because that's what we saw, too. They got into more of a quick rhythm passing game, and it's similar to what they did in the second half last year when they really got on track offensively. Um, You know, you don't allow the pass rush to precipitate in that regard. You get the ball out quickly, on time, and oftentimes you catch the defense at a compromised position downfield. Um, But you have to understand this. uh, The Packers' offensive line was at times, and I would say in general, they lost the the battle at the line of scrimmage. They they did not win, especially in the second at the first half. They didn't win that battle in the trenches. As much as the Packers' uh, defensive line overpowered Seattle's offensive line, Seattle's defensive line, while not quite as impressive as the Packers, they got some things done against that offensive line at Green Bay without Brian Bulaga, and therefore the Packers had to make changes in the way they conducted themselves offensively. And in the second half, went to that more 
that quick passing game. Remember, Rodgers was sacked four times in the first half. Um, they really struggled to move the ball offensively. Second half, as you pointed out, they went to more of a quick-hitting passing game, and they got into a little more of a rhythm. And what it did was it saved the offensive line, which was struggling with that uh, great Seattle defensive front, one of the best in the business. Well, that's what I was going to ask you, Wayne, because um, a lot of people who might have looked at that and said, oh, this offensive line, it's going to be trouble. I mean, the truth is that the Seattle defensive line, that's going to be probably as good or almost as good as any any defensive front seven that the Packers play this year, right? I think that defense the Packers played yesterday is the best defense in the NFL, period, bar none. And so, you know, that was a heck of a test, and we knew it would be. And, um, you know, the, the difference for Seattle is going to be, it's funny, most teams are like the Packers. Their defense is the, the key, and that's the X factor. For Seattle, it's really the offense because, um, you know, if their offense performs the way it did uh, at times last year and the year before, they're going to be tough to beat if that defense remains healthy. Um, so their defense is really the X factor for them. Now, obviously, their offense, I should say. Right Now, Mike Daniels just had an amazing... Amazing game, no question about it. Was there were there one or two other players whose performance really kind of jumped out at you? Yeah, I think Nick Perry uh, in particular jumped out early in the ball game, and that he kind of set the tone. But I also think Morgan Burnett made some plays out there and, and some key uh, plays in the second half, knocking the ball away from Jimmy Graham on a couple of occasions. You know, Graham uh, is, is supposed to be a difference maker for the Seattle offense. He's one of the best tight ends, pass catching tight ends in the game, and yet you know Graham yesterday was held uh, to a very quiet. Three receptions and seven targets, so they tried to go to him for eight yards with a long gain of six. That's not what they spent all that time and money and uh, draft choices on uh, for Jimmy Graham when they acquired him from New Orleans. So um, that was a great job, I thought, done by Dom Capers and his defense. Well, historically, too, the Packers have had trouble sometimes covering um, talented wide, talented tight ends running down the middle. And they, you're right, they, they really bottled him up yesterday. Yeah, I thought that was one of the more subtle keys to the game. The other subtle key to the game was time of possession. Um, And, you know, the Packers didn't score much on this defense, but they certainly possessed the football, even in the first half of play, Jeff, when it was 3-0 Seattle at halftime due to a couple of big plays uh, in the final two-minute drill. I thought the Packers, you know, moved the football effectively against a defense that is just, you know, lights out, in my opinion, on all three levels. Wayne, we're going to take a very quick break. We're opening up the phone lines, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you have any questions for the voice of the Green Bay Packers, Wayne Lurvey, this is your choice, your chance. Back with those calls in just a minute. It's 842. You're listening to News Radio 620 WTMJ. Rodgers on a quick count, third down, back to throw. Lost it over the middle of the post to Jordan. and Bobby Wagner, and the Packers lead 13-6. to It's 846, Jeff Wagner, Wayne Larravee, the Monday morning quarterback. Wayne, um, Ty Montgomery, how, how would you grade his first, you know, real start as the running back where he's the featured back? 
Well, because the Packers were not in control of the line of scrimmage, um, the running figures aren't very good. Uh, 19 carries, 54 yards. But he did get – he had some tough runs, I thought, uh, in, in helping the Packers possess the football in the second half of the ball game. And furthermore, I think when you're talking about Ty Montgomery, you have to consider the whole game, the whole – the breadth and width of what he does. All right? It's not just running the football. But when you split him off the line, as the Packers did, or you use him as a safety valve for swing passes if Rodgers doesn't have anything going downfield – that's where he's really valuable because when he's on the flank of the defense, this is where the defense now is in a quadrant. How do we cover this guy? Do we cover him with a linebacker like we would with most running backs? Do we cover him with a safety? Or do we have to commit a cornerback to him because actually he's a wide receiver? You know, that's kind of where Ty Montgomery's value is, and that's what you saw in the second half. They didn't pound it away and hold the football for six, seven minutes, pounding the rock. Now, on the ground, they did a couple of different things, and Ty was a big part of that in terms of those little underneath throws that Rodgers was making in that second half. To that, to that point, Wayne, um, Bartellus Bennett makes his debut as a Packer. Um, he he did a lot. He did a lot of stuff, including a lot of little things that might not have shown up on the stat sheet. But he looks to me like he's going to be just a beast moving forward. He's one of the best blocking tight ends in football, if not the best blocking tight end in football. So everyone knows what he does downfield, and that's where he makes his money. But um, the fact is, he made a key block on the touchdown run by Montgomery following the uh, the big strip and, and turnover play uh, that actually turned the ball game around in the third quarter. Mike Daniels hit Russell Wilson, triggered the ball loose, and um, it was recovered by Kyler Fackrell at the six-yard line. On Ty Montgomery's ensuing run the next play, uh, he made a key block on the offensive line uh, inside that helped spring that for a touchdown. I'm not sure the Packers had a tight end that would have probably made that block in the past couple of years. Wayne, let's talk to Paul in the North Shore. Paul, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Thanks for taking the call, guys. Sure. Wayne, you were talking about the, uh, and and Jeff, the three-step drop versus the the longer drop. Um, Doesn't that kind of help the defense, too, in that they don't have to cover as long? So the, the rollouts that we're used to seeing Rodgers do, um, you know, they don't have to cover as long anymore. So um, I know you're helping out your offensive line, but also you're kind of helping the defense, right, Wayne? Well, yeah, but you're also making the completion before the defense may be set downfield. That's the other factor that's involved there. But mostly it is to get, uh, when you've got a team that rushes upfield the way Seattle does and covers man-to-man of the secondary, a lot of times those underneath uh, routes are going to be open. And a quick rhythm passing game, I think it does two things. Number one, it gets your offense into a rhythm, which the Packers struggled to do all of yesterday. But number two, it also alleviates that pass rush, and that's the big thing, Um, you know, are you going to hit the big home run ball downfield? Not often. Not against a defense like Seattle. But at the same time, you're going to be moving the chains and you're going to be moving down the field. To that point, Wayne, one of the things that really struck me about the first half was the, just the awful field position that Green Bay had. I, I think for, I don't. I think the, the the best starting position was like on the 29 yard line or something. And twice they were inside their own 10. It, it's tough to go the length of the field against a team like Seattle. Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, they're going to play contain. They're going to play a safety or too high most of the time. But you look at where the Packers took over. And, Jeff, you're exactly right, and I'm glad you pointed this out. First possession of the game for Green Bay at the Packers started at the Packers 17. Second possession, Green Bay 2. Third possession, Green Bay 12. Fourth possession, Green Bay 5. Um, you know, so they were moving the football, and they had yards, and they had time of possession. 
But against a defense like that, when you're starting way back there, you basically throw out three-quarters of the playbook because now you're in a position where you're backed up. You can't afford a mistake downfield. Okay, let me ask you the question that had the national announcers obsessed. The uh, interception that Rodgers threw and then the subsequent penalties, what was your version of that watching the game in person? I, I couldn't believe, number one, the interception occurred. I mean, it, it was one of those close-quarters things, and the ball just... You know, Rogers throwing over the middle, and all of a sudden, 92 comes away with it and outruns everyone down the sidelines, which shows you what uh, kind of an athlete that uh, Nazir Jones is. Um, but uh, the penalty, it's hard for me when I'm following the ball to pick up if there was a real penalty on that play, but apparently the officials did, and, and I don't know if the TV cameras showed it, um, but uh, that was huge in that ball game, Jeff. I mean, to take that touchdown off the board, that was, you know, Football games can swing on a play or two here or there. And it's like Lombardi said, it doesn't, you know, they don't always happen in the fourth quarter. They could happen in the first quarter or the second. They could happen early in the fourth or right at the end of the ball game. But a play like that could have changed the tenor of the entire afternoon had Seattle scored a touchdown on that particular play. As it was with the penalty, they were backed up. I believe they started that drive at the 50-yard line or thereabouts, you know, midfield marker. And then, you know, the Packers' defense was able to keep them off the board, so the turnover didn't cost Green Bay any points. Whereas, one of the differences in the game was Seattle's turnover, deep in its own territory, cost the Seahawks seven points as the Packers scored on that one and cashed it. Wayne, let's talk to Jeff in West Bend. Jeff, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Well, Wayne, I I, want to see if you you felt the same way I did about this. Um, Clay Matthews. He seemed like he was just a little bit too slow. He wasn't there, and everybody else was out there, you know, uh, hunting and getting through this offensive line of theirs. But Clay Matthews always just seemed to step behind. And also, where was our new guy, Brooks? I didn't see him out there whatsoever. Brooks suffered a concussion early in the ball game and, and uh, was held from the rest of the game. So he he didn't play very much. Uh, in the ball game is for Clay. You know, I'd have to go back and look at tape because um, I'd have to follow the ball, and and I can't. I, I, you know, I know Clay was there early on that couple of pressures early, along with Nick Perry, but um, for the rest of the ball game, you know, I, I'm not quite sure. I, I I follow the ball. I have to follow the ball. That's what I do. Well, also, I, I mean, it, at the same time, the, the tackling was outstanding, and you have to go back and look at the tape to say, did they have two guys on him, which maybe freed up somebody else to make a play? That's how it works, right? Yeah, no, oftentimes that's the case. Um, but, you know, Seattle wasn't able to block, as Larry said during, uh, Larry McCarron said during the broadcast early on yesterday, he said it was abundantly clear they can't block our guys. And uh, on the other side of the football, <laughs> we were struggling to block their guys. So that's the kind of game you had yesterday. It was two teams just slugging it out. And um, to me, that's a beautiful football game. That was everything I love to see in a football game. There were just enough big plays, but uh, there was just great defense, great hitting, great tackling both ways. And by the way, Jeff, you know people don't realize this, but Dom Capers' defense was one of the best tackling defenses in football last year. Okay, They missed about 3.7 tackles per game. That was third overall in the NFL last year. This is a good tackling team. Wayne, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll have a minute or two to talk about the Packers' next battle in Atlanta on Sunday. Stick around. It's the Monday Morning Quarterbacks with Wayne Larrabee. Snap Rogers gives to Montgomery. Oh, spinning his way into the goal. Touchdown. He's in. Touchdown. 
Warriors take the lead. A Lambo leap to the north end zone stands for Ty Montgomery. It's the Monday morning quarterback, Wayne Larravee, Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us, Wayne. Next game is Atlanta. The last time the Packers were in Atlanta, it was the NFC's championship game. Not a pretty sight. What can we expect? The Falcons are opening up their new stadium. Yeah, I mean, you could expect a lot of uh, high energy, intensity. I mean, we thought uh, yesterday's game felt like a playoff game up in Green Bay against Seattle. Um, this is going to feel like a playoff game as well because they're opening a new stadium with their first official home game uh, in this new Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And uh, I guess it's spectacular from all I've heard. Uh, but, you know, on the field, this is a very good team. This is, you know, and go, go back to the preseason power polls and all this other stuff. Um, Atlanta and Seattle, one and two in that order in the NFC uh, in almost every poll. And this Atlanta team is really good, Jeff, for two reasons. Okay, last year they led the league in scoring 540 points. That's not why they were in the Super Bowl. They were in the Super Bowl because their defense improved from day one of the start of the last season to the end more than any other defense in football. They're young. They're they're fast, great speed on that defensive front. Chicago gave them all they could handle yesterday, but nonetheless, this is a team that is, uh, I think, that their defense is starting to come to the fore, and that makes them extremely dangerous because we know they can score points. Wayne, thanks so much for joining me this morning. We will talk to you same time next Monday. Hopefully the result, my, my guess is it's not going to be a 17-9 to game next, <laughs> next Monday. That would just be my guess. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not, Jeff, but look forward to it anyway, regardless. Win, lose, or draw. Right, well, but, but winning is always better. Thanks a lot for joining me, my friend. I appreciate it. That's, yes, well, absolutely. <laughs> that's Wayne Larrabee, the Monday morning quarterbacks. Um, again, the only way to take in Packers games, as far as I'm concerned, if you can't be at Lambeau, it is to be listening to Wayne and Larry here on News Radio 620 WTMJ. Right after the news, we come back with three big things. And during the 10 o'clock hour, a special 9-11 remembrance. Stick around. It's 8:59. It's 908. This is Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. Yeah, um, a lot of good news in the sports world in Wisconsin. The Badgers win, of course. Packers have their big win. The Brewers go into Chicago needing essentially to sweep the Cubs, and they, they sweep the Cubs. Um, Well-played games. Now you can't have a letdown that the with Pittsburgh Pirates come to town. But the truth is the Brewers have played themselves back into the conversation for either the, the wild card berth, although the Colorado Rockies aren't losing right now, um, wild card berth, or to, to take the NL Central. So it's, it, it's a fun time. Uh, two games behind. They, they needed to step up big, and they certainly did. And again, you can hear the game tonight. They play the Pirates. Can't have a letdown here on News Radio 620 WTMJ. All right. Now, that was the distraction. Sports was the distraction over the weekend. For many of us, we were, especially those of us who have friends and or family who are in Florida, we were all riveted to the coverage of Hurricane Irma as it moved through the Florida Keys and then hit the Florida Peninsula. Now, the good news, and it's tough to find good news in a hurricane making landfall, is that the, the the hurricane was not as devastating as people were afraid it was going to be. And I don't mean to minimize that at all, but what apparently happened is the hurricane stayed over land and weakened. And again, it, it, when you're talking about a hurricane weakening, it, it all becomes relative. But there is a difference between a Category 2 hurricane and a Category 4 hurricane. And, and while you have a, a lot of flooding and obviously a lot of damage, particularly along maybe that, that whole Marco Island area. Tampa, largely unscathed. Miami, 
flooding and things of the like, but not the devastation that I think people were originally afraid of. Um, but again, you've got six million people now that are apparently without power, about half of the state that's in the dark, um, and that's not going to change anytime soon. So they're working to do it. It was bad. But it, of course, could have been worse. One of the stories we're watching today is the stock market is is really taken off. Um, The Dow is up 204 points. The Nasdaq is up 76. And I think part of that was, again, that's a relief that Hurricane Irma wasn't as devastating as people were afraid it was. And again, I understand that small consolation, you know, if you have a place on Marco Island that's now flooded or whatever, but at the same time, it could have been much, much worse. And I was certainly riveted, riveted to the, the coverage of the hurricane. We start off today's show, like we start off every show, with three big things. And big thing number one and big thing number two are related to the hurricane. Story number one. As I was watching the coverage, starting on Friday night through Saturday through Sunday, I think in general the various channels did a very, very good job of covering it. But time and time again, I was amazed at the decision that the media made to put reporters out in the middle of the storm. Uh, The New York Times has an interesting piece on this. Early Sunday morning, Bill Ware, veteran CNN correspondent, was talking to the anchor in the middle of a live shot in Key Largo, Florida, which got hit by the hurricane hard. He could barely stand straight in the lashing winds of Hurricane Irma. At one point, he was almost blown over by a gust. Um, As this video spread on social media, people were asking, why were these reporters out there? It's not safe. Lead by example. And there were countless other examples of it. I saw this one situation I had on MSNBC. Don't ask me why. And they had this this one of their female correspondents, Mariana Atencio. She was in Miami. She the wind is blowing so hard that she can't stand up. She is being blown up. five, ten feet at a time, and then you can see she like regains her balance and fights the wind. She is literally being blown down the street. She's pointing to a large tree that had fallen across the street. Other trees, it seems like they're almost bent in half. And I remember sitting there thinking, okay, the woman can't stand up. The wind is so strong. Trees are falling all over her, and yet, you know, we have to put her out in the middle of the hurricane to get this picture. And all at the same time, you know, she's talking about how, well, it's really raining hard. It is miserable. It is not safe out here. The authorities have ordered everybody to evacuate and to hunker down. And yet you have the reporters that are out in the middle of the hurricane. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I am obviously glad nobody got injured. None of the reporters got injured in this. But this has become more and more commonplace. We want the dramatic photos of the hurricane. We want the pictures. We want to see the reporter being blown down the street. All right, is it worth it? Do we need to do this, or is it irresponsible that the networks are putting people out in this type of weather? They, they don't have to put the reporter there. I mean, the reporter could be inside some building. You could have a camera that's outside showing you the trees in half, showing you the power lines down. You don't need to put people in these situations. Is it responsible to do that? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I'll be the first to tell you I think it makes for good, compelling TV. 
but at the same time, you know, if we if, if these were the gladiator days, you know, and you had people thrown in there and fighting the lions, would we put that on TV as well? Dan sends uh, first text of the morning. I've hated this type of coverage for a year. Sooner or later, one of these reporters is going to be struck by lightning, swept out to sea or killed by flying debris live on TV. He, he's absolutely right. I mean, I understand that hurricanes are devastating. My point has always been, I think you can, I think you can have pictures that show you what is going on. Oh, here's the rain coming down. Here's the trees bent in half. Here's the streets that are being flooded. You know, you can show people the devastation that the weather is causing without taking a human being and putting them out in the middle of this. Am I wrong? Mike in Wauwatosa. Mike, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, good morning, Jeff. Um, yeah, I think it's all about money. It's the me, me, me thing. Uh and ratings, uh, and it's not exactly, I wouldn't say, the, the networks. It's these people that want to advance their careers and be the, the top dog in their field. I don't, I don't think necessarily it should be the, the skinny little women going out there, but the bigger, tougher guys that can kind of handle it, I kind of enjoy watching it. Uh, it gives you a sense of really, you see a human in it, and then as a human yourself, you kind of really get a feel for what the guy's going through. But of all times, you know, why not put one of those police robot things out there? They can they can maneuver around and show you different things. Well, exactly. I think. See, I mean, right, you could. I mean, I understand the pictures are compelling, and I, I think you know you want to give people the impression of what is going on here. This is how bad it is. We're not overhyping this. Look at this stuff. But you're right. You, you can do this with. Well, you can, there's all sorts of ways you can do it. And and I guess as far as the the people advancing their careers, I'm not sure they have a lot of choice. The way it typically works is you've got. The producers and you've got the the networks and they say, okay, this is it, Jeff. You're the you're doing the live shot here. We're going to put you out in the middle of this. And look, and I understand that weather is a compelling story. Certainly, this is a compelling story. I'm just saying, do you need to put human beings in the middle of this? John in Sheboygan Falls. John, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Yesterday, um, I was watching the newscast in the uh, Channel Seven in Fort Lauderdale, and the reporter was standing out there like a bobblehead, and it's me over to windy. And I got so peed off. I sent him an email and told him what a bunch of idiots they are. I can see the wind blowing yeah. without some dang fool out there, right? They're barely, barely standing up. Yeah, yeah, look, right, I mean, thanks, yeah, like, I mean, they'll do the thing, like the, the woman on CNN, okay, I was watching her, I, I, my, my guess is she weighs 120 pounds, soaking wet, good for her, but she's in this, she's in like 100 mile an hour winds, she is literally being blown down the street, and CNN keeps, by the way, showing that clip, I mean, they had, and when I was, I'm, I'm going to say MS, it was MSNBC that was doing it, they keep showing this, they've got like dual boxes, they're showing this woman being blown and buffeted all over in the heavy winds, and I'm thinking to to what end is this? And then she's on talking about, oh, this tree just fell down. Well, okay, I mean, really? I, I get it that it's bad. Kelsey in Waukesha. Kelsey, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, good morning. What do you think? Um, well, to me, it just seems kind of dangerous for, you know, these reporters to be coming out and about. And, you know, they want everybody to evacuate as fast as possible and to be out of this terrible weather. And yeah. then... They're having either the local um, news reporters or people that are flying in to do these news reports. So it just seems kind of irresponsible in the sense of, you know, you have these people in the dangerous situations that they're telling everybody to get out of. Right. 
Right. Yeah. Well, exactly. I mean, that 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 to me is the whole scenario of you're, you're telling people it's not safe. Authority. I mean, the governor. I, I was watching Governor Scott on on Friday, and he just seemed tired and exasperated because for the last week he'd been going around the state saying it's not safe. Leave, 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 and people right. still have been refusing to leave. And then you've got the TV reporters that are standing out there in the middle of it after we've been telling people to leave. I mean, talk about mixed messages. Exactly. That's exactly what we were thinking when we were watching the news. I mean, it gives you a sense of really seeing how dangerous the conditions are. But sure. then at the same time, you know, you don't want these people in the conditions. Well, so, well right. It, right. I mean, thanks. And look, I mean, I'll be the first to acknowledge it makes for compelling television. It's more compelling if you're standing there, if you're watching TV and you see some poor soul being buffeted around and, you know, soaking wet and trying to fight. I, I get that it makes it a little bit more compelling, but what's it going to take? I mean, what, what sooner or later, somebody that you put in the middle of one of these storms is going to die. That, that, that's going to happen. Some power line is going to come down. Some tree is going to come down. Somebody, male, female, who knows, is, is going to die in a storm like this. And then, well, I don't know, then the ratings might shoot up for a little bit. All right, that's big story number one. Big story number two, hurricane-related as well. We'll talk about it when we come back. Is Hurricane Hugo, uh, Hurricane Hugo, is Hurricane Harvey and Hurricane Irma, is this evidence of global warming? A friend of mine was telling me that over the weekend. We'll discuss. It's 919. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 922, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. It's the second-to-last homestand of the season for the Brewers, and it's a short one. Just three games against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Bob and Jeff begin our game day coverage of the opener this evening at 6.05, sponsored by Milwaukee Honda Dealers. Be sure to check that out. Yeah, only only two games, two homestands left in the season. Three-game homestand against Pittsburgh. Then the Brewers are supposed to go on the road to Miami. Then they come back for um, games against Pittsburgh and Chicago, I think. And that rounds out the uh, the homestand. That rounds out the home game. So I tell you, they played themselves into contention. That is very, very cool. All right, big story number two. Climate change or global warming. I was talking to a friend of mine the other night. Now, I, I want to be real clear here at the beginning. I am not necessarily a climate change denier. I, I accept that there are more people in the world now than ever. That means more people, more people producing carbon dioxide, more strain on the Earth's resources. So I, I understand that. But I guess my question is, Really, so what? What what does this really mean? I mean, we have had periods where you had the glaciers, and then glaciers melted, and then they reformed. You know, you, you have the, the earth changes from time to time. And, I mean, I'm not going to say that having more people around doesn't put an added strain on it. But at the same time, I, I think the planet does adapt. So I am not one of the – while I'm not a denier, I'm also not an alarmist. So anyhow, I'm talking to a friend of mine over the, the weekend. And they're saying, well, Jeff, this is evidence. You you had Hurricane Harvey, and now you have Hurricane Irma. This is evidence that there it's it's global warming, that it's climate change. And I said, well, why do you say that? So, well, we, we've had these two devastating, you know, hurricanes, you know, back back to back. And I said, well, 
Uh, at the same time, how then do you account for the fact that it, it's been a dozen years, and, and presumably that this global warming, the climate change has been going on, it's been a dozen years um, since you had a, a hurricane that, that hit, hit Florida. Well, how do you explain that? And then there's a pause, and my friend says, well, that's global warming, too. All right. And I said, well, wait, you, okay, so, so when, when we have hurricanes, it's global warming. When we don't have hurricanes, it's global warming. I, I mean, at, at some point in time, I guess, and I, again, I understand that there is a degree of climate change going on, but, but is this evidence? You know, you've had, what, a four or five Category 5 hurricanes um, that have ended up, you know, hitting the continental U.S. since 1900. All right, well, okay, when, you know, when the hurricane hits, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago, was that climate change? Was that global warming? Again, I, I'm not a denier, but at the same time, I think that the, this rush to say, okay, this is firm evidence that this is happening and it is going to be devastating. Um, is that just sort of an, what to borrow Al Gore's phrase, isn't that just sort of like an inconvenient analysis? 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, is the fact that we have now, the continental U.S. has been hit with two major storms, two major hurricanes in the space of the last couple weeks, is that evidence that, all right, there, there is major global warming going on here. All right, Dan sends me a text. The global warming alarmists have been quiet about hurricanes for the past decade or so due to the very few hurricanes during these years. Now that there have been two hurricanes in quick succession, they've come out of the woodwork claiming this is proof of global warming selective memory. 414-799-1620. Terry in Oak Creek. Terry, you're first. Good morning. Sure, Jeff. Um, hurricane experts um, have strongly agreed that the warming of the oceans, the warming of the air, which allows it to hold more um, moisture, and sea level rise increases the storm surge so that um, mm -hmm. hurricanes aren't created by global warming, but they make them more intense. I just want to read you one quick quote, quote from the U.S. Department of Defense, uh, 2014 Quadrennial Defense Review. As greenhouse gas emissions increase, sea levels are rising, Average global temperatures are increasing, and severe weather patterns are accelerating. These changes, along with other global dynamics, will devastate homes, land, and infrastructure. That's our own Department of Defense, Jeff. Well, I, and see, I, again, Terry, I, I, I understand. I, I'm not a – I guess the question becomes when. Five years from now, 15 years from now, 50 years from now. I mean, I, I understand there are more people in the world, so it makes sense to me that you have the gases that are increasing. But I guess the question becomes, where is the risk balance that is out there? And, I mean, again, historically, you know, we've gone through periods where it's been really, really cold, where you've had a lot of snow. One of the frustrating things to me is every time there is – an atypical climate event. Oh, it was really, really cold this winter. Oh, it was really, really um, wet this summer. Oh, it was really, really hot this summer. It's all right. We're, we're going to explain this by the warming of the planet as opposed to maybe just the, the natural evolution of of this event. It's 928. This is Jeff Wagner. Stick around. We continue the conversation. With the help of 
936, Jeff Wagner, 620, WTMJ, 16 years ago today, he lost his daughter in the attack on the World Trade Center. Now, Wisconsinite Gordon Haberman remembers, reflects, and cherishes her memory. Don't miss his appearance with John McCure at 320 today during Wisconsin's Afternoon News, which reminds me, um, coming up at 10.05, I do this every year, and will continue to do it every year that um, I'm, I'm on the radio. It's been 16 years since September 11th, 2001. What that means is there is a generation of, of, of Americans. There is a generation of people who were not alive on September 11th, 2001. Um, and candidly, you know, I, I'm trying to think at what time you really, you know, how old you really start having memories. But my guess is, you know, for people who are 21 and under right now, you really don't don't remember what happened on September 11th. And so one of the things that I do every year on September 11th, and we're going to do at 10.05 today, is I, I want to do my own little part in making sure that we do not become historically ignorant. We're going to devote... Uh, at least a, a decent portion of the 10 o'clock hour to remembrances of September 11th. Um, where were you on September 11th? How vividly do you remember that? Because I will tell you, on the one hand, yeah, it, it seems like it's been 16 years. On the other hand, it seems like it was just yesterday. But we're going to be devoting a decent section of the 10 o'clock hour of the program to that, um, our remembrances of September 11th. Right now, we're in the middle of our three big things. Big story number three. Foxconn is closer to becoming a reality. The state Senate is scheduled to vote on the Foxconn package on Tuesday. It will pass the state Senate. It will then go back to the State Assembly. Now, keep in mind, the State Assembly originally approved a version of Foxconn um, that's now been modified slightly, so the Assembly is going to have to vote on this again. It will go back, assuming the State Senate approves it tomorrow, which they are going to do. It goes to the State Assembly on Thursday. They will vote. They will approve the package. The interesting thing is going to be how many Democrats um, go along and vote for Foxconn, how many Milwaukee Democrats decide to put the interest of their constituents ahead of political ties and, and actually vote for a package that will be good for them. But assuming, regardless, it's going to pass on Tuesday in the Senate, it's going to pass the Assembly on Thursday, it will go to the governor, the governor will sign the legislation, he may make certain vetoes, don't know about that now. But in, in essence, this package that's going to be voted on tomorrow in the state Senate a version, either that version or a version close to that, adjusted by the governor's vetoes, is going to be enacted into into law. Um, reports out, multiple sources reporting over the weekend, that of the different sites that they were looking at, they now appear to be settling on on Racine County as opposed to Kenosha County. But th- that's, I mean, th- that's what's been talked about quite a while, the, the idea that somewhere along the freeway, in either the southern portion of Racine County or the northern portion of Kenosha County. Reports are that there's developers and real estate people are going out. They're trying to buy up the land. Um, there's going to be some other issues as well, you know, how you arrange to get the water to them and things like that. But it appears that the Foxconn proposal is going to happen. All right, I, I've been thinking about this a lot over the last several weeks, and we've, we've talked about this in, in general terms. 
I think it's going to be a game changer for the state. I think it's going to be really, really good for the citizens of the state. I don't know whether it's ultimately going to be 5,000 jobs or 7,000 jobs or 10,000 jobs or 13,000 jobs. Don't, don't know. Hope, hope it takes off like it's planned. But I do know that you're immediately going to see a, a several, what, a $10 billion infrastructure investment, about $7 billion, which is going to probably go to, you know, Wisconsin firms to build this, this entire facility. And then, you know, you're going to have jobs. Now, are all the people that work at Foxconn going to f- at least initially be people that come from the state of Wisconsin? No, they're, they're not. I mean, my guess is you're going to have people in northern Illinois that get those jobs and and drive up. Um, But sooner or later, you're going to have a large contingent of people, assuming we can find the workers to staff this. You know, you're going to have people that are going to be working there, and you're going to have people that are going to relocate, presumably, towards to that area. I mean, right now, if you know, I was somebody looking for work in La Crosse or Eau Claire or Monroe, and I said, hey, th- this looks like these are going to be good family-sustaining jobs, and I- I've got a little bit of a background to do this. I mean, I would be considering relocating into the area. So, I mean, I think you're going to have an incredible influx of people that are coming in. On top of all this, and this is one of the things that is so frustrating to me about the political partisanship, and I have said this before, um, this to me is not just about Racine County and Kenosha County. This is also about Milwaukee County. I think it is nothing short of appalling that at least so far you have had no Milwaukee area Democrats who have gotten on board with this because at least you know you've got some of these assembly people and some of these state senators who represent some of the most economically depressed areas of the state, perhaps the most economically depressed areas. And here you have this employer who's going to be within 15 or 20 miles talking about you know creating jobs 5,000 10,000 13,000 jobs plus all the jobs that will spin off around the Foxconn plant whether it's I don't know restaurants that are going to you know serve the, the people that are working at Foxconn or shopping centers or whatever this is an incredible incredible opportunity to try to figure out a way to connect people for example, who are desperately looking for jobs in Milwaukee with jobs that are going to be 15 or 20 miles away. And instead of trying to come up with changes or fixes to the legislation, which would make it easier to, for example, get the people who can't find jobs now who are in the economically depressed areas, to get them down to Racine County and get them back, they're just simply saying no, 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 no. And they're saying no because, well, it's Scott Walker's idea. We can't support Scott Walker. Oh, this is terrible. This is corporate welfare. Instead of looking out for the interest of their constituents. All right, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, this is big thing number three. I think when this legislation is passed, and in my mind it's not an if, it is a when, this really is going to be a huge economic boost, certainly for southeastern Wisconsin. Right at the moment, I, I don't want to talk about whether this is going to make a difference for Green Bay or for Stevens Point or for La Crosse or Eau Claire, but at least for this part of the state, this, I think, is some of the best news that we have had in a long long time so for is this going to be an economic shot in the arm for kenosha racine milwaukee waukesha 
Walworth County. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. To me, this is a no-brainer. We discuss next. This is big story number three. Foxconn settling in, apparently narrowing in on the Racine location, or at least in Racine County, close to the interstate, and the Foxconn deal about to become a reality in the legislature. Good thing for our area, bad thing, or is the jury out? We discuss next. It's 944. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 948, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. This is the 16th anniversary of September 11th, 2001. If you were alive at that point in time and probably over the age of five or six, you remember where you were. We have, however, a generation of Americans who weren't alive then, and um, what we do on this program every September 11th is we devote at least a couple segments to remembrances of 9-11. I just think we have to do things like this in an effort to avoid becoming what I would describe as historically ignorant. We, we tend to forget people get on, we go on with our lives. We say, okay, this was a terrible thing. But I think it's important to remember where we all were and how we react and, and what the lessons of the last 16 years were. So we're going to devote at least a couple segments of the 10 o'clock hour to that. So that's coming up right after the news. Our big story number three, it, it does appear that Foxconn is going to happen. The state Senate will be approving Foxconn legislation tomorrow. It will then go to the state assembly that will approve it on Thursday. It will then go to the governor who will sign the legislation either intact or with some minor vetoes. Um, there, there still is controversy. And to me, the most interesting question is going to be, will there be Democrats in the legislature who end up supporting this? There were three Democrats in the assembly who voted for the initial Foxconn legislation. One was the former Minority leader Peter Barca, who represents a, a district in Kenosha, who recognized that this, this this was good for his constituents, he ended up voting for it and then was just essentially hung out to dry by a number of his Democrat colleagues who were just appalled that he would support anything that Scott Walker came up with. Oh, this is the Republicans, to which I, th- I think Barca said, well, all right, you know, we're, we're talking about creating thousands and thousands of jobs in my district. How can you expect me to vote against it? And, of course, you had some of these myopic Democrats who took the position, well, of course you have to vote against it. I mean, you, you can't give Scott Walker a victory here. We And, of course, what was so frustrating about this whole thing to me is that if the tables had been turned, if this had been... 15 years ago, and this had been Jim Doyle, 10 years ago, and this had been Jim Doyle, for example, announcing the same sort of deal. I, my prediction is every single one of the people who were voting against this would have been saying, oh, well, this is it. We got to do this. This is going to be the greatest thing since canned beer. You know, we have to support this. But because it is Governor Walker and to a lesser extent President Trump who helped make this happen, you have a number of politicians, especially politicians from the Milwaukee area, who should be really trying to figure out how they can get their constituents employed how they can get their constituents working at good paying jobs but instead of instead of that they're saying no we're going to vote no against foxconn it is disgraceful in the extreme and this is one of the things that candidly caught cost peter barca his leadership role because he had the audacity to put his constituents ahead of his political party for anybody out there who says why well, I, I vote for the person not the party no you really don't 
You, you really don't because the truth of the matter is the people that end up getting elected, they go there and they tow the party line in large measure. So I will be curious to see at the end of the day how many Democrats, particularly in southeastern Wisconsin, ultimately decide to turn their back on their constituents and vote no when it comes to Foxconn. I'm also going to be interested to see whether moving forward that is a vote when Foxconn works. And the truth is Foxconn is going to work. Now, can I guarantee you that it's going to have 13,000 jobs? No, but I can guarantee you that there is going to be an immediate input of Lots of lots of money spent in developing the land. You're going to need to hire people to do that, building the various facilities. There's going to be billions of dollars spent just on developing the facilities, and that's going to be good for contractors. That's going to result in employment for people. Some of it will be out of state, but some of it will be people in state as well, just like the Bucks Arena is good for people, again, for the contractors. You're paying people to build the arena. It makes no sense to me that any of the Democrats who voted in favor of building a Bucks Arena in downtown Milwaukee could at the same time turn around and vote against Foxconn. If if, if the Bucks Arena was good, Foxconn is good on steroids, and yet you know that there's going to be some of that that's going on. Foxconn is advancing. It's going to be great for southeastern Wisconsin. The question is, are some people going to get on board? We'll know by the end of the week. It's 953. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Again, our September 11th remembrance comes up right after the 10 o'clock news. Before that, I got an observation about something that candidly, well, it's it's been bothering me since I saw the story. I'll share that with you. It's 953. This is Jeff Wagner. Nine fifty six, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. Speaking of Peter Barco stepping down as the minority leader in the state assembly, the the leading candidate in the clubhouse is Oshkosh Democrat Gordon Hintz. You, you might remember him. He's the guy that th- this is the best the Democrats have. He's the guy that during the Act Ten debate went to uh, State Representative then Michelle Litchens and told her that she was blanking, although he didn't say blanking, dead. <laughs> okay, this is it. He's also the guy's, days before that, he was cited by Appleton Police in connection with an investigation of the Heavenly Touch Massage Parlor um, there for prostitution. He pled no contest to a citation, apologized for the incident, calling him a da- bad decision in his personal life that was out of character. <laughs> I would say that would be a bad decision, but that's who's going to be the Democrats' leader. Hmm. All right. You, you want to talk about, when, whenever we have natural disasters like this, whether it's Hurricane Harvey or Hurricane Irma, it brings out the absolute best in people. And, and, and you've seen that. You've seen that with the generosity of people, you know, donating to, to help help folks who, who've lost everything. You've seen that with the folks who are traveling down to either Houston or to Florida to try to help out. You've just seen us it's coming together. And then you also see the, the other side of it. Florida police, looking at this story, okay, Fort Lauderdale got, got hit hard. Not quite as hard as they thought it might be, but Fort Lauderdale got hit hard. Florida police made a string of arrests in Fort Lauderdale Sunday 
after they said several people were caught looting in stores. So, all right, they're looting. Now, when, when I mentioned this before, somebody sent me a text saying, well, you, you can't blame people. I mean, they, they don't have food. They don't have water. So there's a closed grocery store. They're, they're going in. They, they need this. All right, these people were caught looting a sportswear store before moving on to other shops. G. All right, this is not, gee, my child is starving. I have to get into the closed grocery store to get some food or to get some water. This is, gee, they have some really nice men's polo shirts in this sportswear store. Let's go loot. So, I mean, you, you see the good stuff that comes out, and you also see some of the pond scum that end up surfacing when there's disasters like this. Um, I, I think that they're saying that they're going to issue felony charges. To me, this is one of these examples why it's probably a reason why I'll never be a judge, because, you know, you 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 get caught looting in a storm like this, and when it comes to sentencing, my response would be, Every darn day. What's the sentence going to be? My question would be, what is the maximum penalty? Okay, coming up in just a couple minutes, we're going to talk about September 11th. This is the 16th anniversary of that horrible day. Stick around. It's 959. It's 10.09. This is Jeff Wagner. Just during the break, I was looking at, I was watching CNN. It's one of the channels we have on, and they were showing clips of this reporter that they put out in the middle of the storm, and she's just being buffeted, and her microphone is being pulled away. Again, we, we talked about this an hour ago. What Do we really need this? I mean, seriously, is somebody going to have to die on live TV before we recognize that, you know, maybe you, you can show us pictures of, of a storm without necessarily putting people's lives at risk? Just saying. All right. Every year. I'm still one of the, I've got like all the smartphones and things like that and the calendar thing, but I'm old school. And one of the things I do every year is about this time I go out and I buy a calendar. um, It's one of these month at a glance calendars. I've used this ever since I started practicing law. It's one of these things that you open it up, for example, to September and I write different appointments in two o'clock on Friday, go see the dentist, all those type of things. And I I write my, my things in and my appointments in. One of the things I always do when I get my new calendar is I always find out when September 11th is going to be, and I circle it just to remind me. September 11th, 2001, 16 years ago. Can you believe it? 16 years ago. As I was saying earlier, if you were alive and above the age of like five or six, You remember where you were on September 11th, 2001, and my guess is, in some respects, you remember it like it was yesterday. We have, however, a generation of Americans who who weren't uh, alive then, for whom September 11th is just something that maybe you read about in the history books, if, if you read about history at all. I am very concerned about us becoming historically ignorant. I, I, we, we tend to have very, very short attention spans in this country, and part of that is because of the 24-7 news cycle. Part of it is because we're, we're just we're just busy. We, we just are. But I, I like to devote at least a couple segments of the program on September 11th to remembering that horrible date, remembering where we were, remembering how we felt, and then you know, how, how things have changed over the course of the now 16 years. Let's open up the phone lines. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 
Where were you on September 11th, 2001? Does it seem like it has been 16 years to you? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I know, again, a lot of people just vivid, vivid recollections. Okay, let's start with Henry in Menominee Falls. Henry, you're first. Good morning. Uh, good morning, Jeff. Um, I remember because uh, I was hunting early season geese uh, between Kikoski and Leroy at a farm uh, in Wisconsin. I had just finished, put the dog and my gear into the truck, got into the truck, turned on the radio, and entered the real world. Yeah. Uh, I started back into Mayville and gassed up, and when I did, the second uh, tower was hit. When I got home, I took my gear out of the truck, and I got out my flag, modified it so I could hang it at half-staff. When I was doing this, a neighbor came by walking his dogs and asked me what I was hanging it at half-staff for. I told him to go home, turn on the radio, because we were at war. Right, right. Uh, after I got all of this done, I took both of my dogs, uh, the younger one was just a pup, for a walk. And it is the first time in my life that I could actually ever, I could ever actually hear silence. Yes, I mean, it, they, people were just absolutely just stunned that this type of thing could could happen. Um, I, I remember I, I was actually I was getting ready for work. I worked the noon shift here at the time, and I, I was in my my office. And I at the time I had a little TV on, you know, and it was it wasn't hooked up to cable. It was one of those where you still have the rabbit ears and the over the ear air signal. And my my wife called to me and she said, you know, turn on the TV. You know that one of the twin towers has been hit. And and I acknowledge at first. As I, I, you're trying to get information, I thought it was an aviation accident. I mean, did some stupid pilot, you know, fly into the the tower? And I, I guess I, I didn't realize at the time initially it, it wasn't a jetliner. It was just like a plane had flown in there. And then I, I have the television on and I'm listening to our coverage. Then all of a sudden you hear that there's a second plane that's flown into the Twin Towers. And at that point in time, you understand there is no aviation accident at all. Okay, on our text line, Bobby in Paris writes, interesting story. My father and brothers may have been among the last people in the country to know about the attacks. They were in the boundary waters fishing and didn't hear what happened until the Saturday when they came back. So it took four days for them to realize what had happened. I that was I, I had I, dear friends of mine to this day. They were in Hawaii, and of course, there's a six or seven hour time difference. That you know, Hawaii is six or seven hours be, behind us. And, you know, they were scheduled to fly back that day. They were on um, one of the They weren't on Oahu and they weren't on Maui. They were on one of the other islands. And, you know, they, they get up. And, it's, again, it's six hours later. So th- this has happened while they were asleep. They get up and... My friend just calls the airlines to, you know, make sure that the flight is on, on time. And they say, no, the flight's been canceled. And actually, my friend was telling me, he starts to yell on, what do you mean the flight's been canceled? At which point in time they say, sir, you know, have, have you turned on the TV? Oh, no. And then you find it. And they, they were actually in Hawaii for an extra week. 414-799-1620. Where were you on September 11th, 2001? We continue the conversation. It's 1015. This is Jeff Wagner. 
The All-American Window and Door We Love Wisconsin Tour, sponsored in part by TravelWisconsin.com, has made stops in Delavan, Plymouth, Janesville, Newburgh, and so many other unique Wisconsin destinations. I love it. It's a great idea. We enjoy having WTMJ down in Pleasantford. Next up, we head to Town. It's Wally's spot in Green Bay. The fun starts 3 o'clock this Friday. For more information or for a full map of where we've been and where we're headed, go to WTMJ. Hey, we are in a stretch of really beautiful weather right now, but I'm sorry to say the fall season and the holidays and winter weather is going to be here before you know it. Now, for most of us, holidays mean family and friends, decorations, holiday parties, family feasts, and special memories of Thanksgiving and Christmas. Now, the backdrop for your special memories is going to be your home. Now, um, if you are in a situation where you want to take your home and turn it from drab to spectacular, I've got the solution for you. Call the good folks at Serta Pro Painters. Look, make sure your holidays, the holidays at your house are memorable. Make them special. Call the good folks at Serta Pro. They can give your whole home a new update. They can paint the walls. They can make it look great. And here's the great thing about Serta Pro. They'll arrive on time. They'll maintain a clean work environment. They'll clean up when they're done. And they will respect your family and your pets. This really is the best time to get on their schedule so they can help you transform your home for the upcoming fall and holiday seasons. Don't wait. Call now. It's 800-GO-CERTA. That's CERTA with a C. 800-G-O-C-E-R-T-A. Or visit CERTAPRO.com. At CERTA Pro Painters, they say, we do painting, you do life. Each CERTA Pro Painters business is independently owned and operated. It's 1018, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, Remembrances of September 11th. Where were you? Let's see. Uh, here's on my text line. I was in my car on my way to work on 43 northbound, a Holt Avenue exit. Traffic came to a dead stop as if every driver heard the news at the same time. I vividly remember what I was wearing. I never wore that dress again. Sylvester writes, I just turned 19. My birthday is September 10th. So the morning of the 11th, I went to Shopco and they were playing it on the display TVs. That's where he heard about it. Okay, now just to give you some perspective, he had just turned 19. Now Sylvester is 35 years old. It, it just shows you, again, how time flies. And in some respects, it seems like yesterday. In other respects, it seems like it was forever. Mike and Waukesha texts, I was 11 years old playing on the playground before school that day, watched coverage throughout the day. The teachers were still expected to teach. Um, Mike he was 11. He is now 27 years old. 414-799-1620. Let's see. I remember it like it was yesterday. I was in Dallas for a business meeting. The night before, I saw Ray Charles front row and center. The next morning, I received a call from my wife wondering if I was okay. Um, I then learned that one of the Twin Towers was hit. Fast forward to Friday of that week. I was one of the first passengers to enter the airport in Dallas to fly home. It was surreal. I will never forget. Yeah, I mean, for people who, who might have – remember, I mean, air travel was frozen. I had another – one of my other very close friends, they were in Europe. They were coming back. Literally, they were in the air between you know Europe and the United States. Their flight was devo- diverted to – Nova Scotia, I think, and they spent a week uh, in, in Nova Scotia before, because, I mean, all air travel was frozen, um, so they were they were in Nova Scotia for the better part of a week before they could get uh, back. Brian in Chicago. Brian, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Jeff, good morning. Long-time listener. How are you today? I am well. Thank you for calling, sir. 
So my story, I used to work for United Airlines at that time, and I was in the baggage claims department right outside of O'Hare. So there'd be like a special bus to take us from the airport to the baggage claims department. And I'll never forget that when I walked in, mind you, I'm on my way to work, right? I didn't listen to the radio. So I walk into the baggage claims department, and everyone's around the TV, and I'm like, what in the hell's going on? Right. Uh, so I look at the television, and I literally saw the second plane go into the building on live right. television. Uh, it was a very, very eerie day. I'll never forget it. My son was a little baby. All I wanted to do was go home and uh, just be with him. And I remember later that day at the airport, all I heard was the F-16s, F-16s flying around everywhere. So it was the eeriest day in my life. Thank you and have a good day, Jeff. Thank you. And of course, if you're working for United Airlines, um, of course, you had United Airlines flight you know, 175, which was, I mean, for, for people who forget, the, the first the first strike was an American Airlines flight. It was Flight 11 traveling from Boston to Los Angeles. That struck the North Tower of the World Trade Center. That was 8.46 a.m. Eastern Time, 7.46 our time. Um, and then, uh, again, uh, about you know 18 or 20 minutes later, 8.03 our time, United Airlines flight from Boston to Los Angeles struck the South Tower, then you had another half hour later, you had the American Airlines flight that flew into the Pentagon. And then um, later on, you had at, at 9.03 our time, you had the other United flight um, that crashed um, after the, the passengers. That was, of course, the story of Flight 93, the passengers who realized what was going on and they fought back. And the flight ca- uh, crashed in that field near Shanksville, Pennsylvania. Um, that was one that was intended for Washington, D.C., um, Incredible stories of heroism. 414-799-1620. Gina in Waukesha. Gina, good morning. Good morning, Jeff. How are you? I am very well, thank you. Do you remember where you were? Oh, my goodness. We were visiting family in Portugal, and we were on a beach, and we learned about one of the towers being struck, and immediately we ran into the restaurant that was there by the beach, and... Everybody was huddled around this tiny little TV. I mean, we watched the second one hit. It was really scary. Well, and nobody knew what was going on. Again, I thought I, I thought the initial one was because they weren't even reporting in the beginning that it was a commercial airliner. I thought it was I thought it was an aviation mistake or, or something like that until sure. and, until the second one gets hit. At which point in time you had that, and then I mean the when the, when the tower collapsed, my God! I mean yeah. that's you know people for people forget that the towers both stood for for a while. Until you know, then you had the, you had the one collapse a little bit later. I just, it's just, it's not something that you thought would ever happen on American soil. No, it was literally a reality TV show like gone wrong. And how scary to know that I'm stuck in this other country, and that was just it. We couldn't get into the country into the United States. They stopped all travel. Right. How long do you remember? How long was it before you were able to get home? We were scheduled to come back on the twenty, the twentieth or the twenty-first, and I think our flight was delayed at least four or five extra days after that. But we flew into LaGuardia, and that was super. It was just very eerie coming right. into that airport in customs, and everybody is just on alert. And yeah, oh. it was, <laughs> no, yeah. It's amazing. No, thanks. I mean, it was just. And again, the reason I, I spend time doing this is, I mean, people, I think we need to flash back to it. it it's, again, I, I can't describe it any better than to say, in some respects, it seems like it was yesterday. In other respects, it seems like 
It was forever. Sandy in West Dallas. Sandy, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Yes, good morning, Jeff. Well, um, that morning, I remember it was a beautiful morning, like just like today. And um, I got up early, and in fact, I remember seeing Katie Clark interviewing Ted Kennedy, and I was like, oh, dear. And um, I received a call from my cousin, and she says, Sandy, um, we had had plans to go to lunch that day, and she says, Sandy, we can't go today. And I had just seen the first plane hit as they panned to that coverage in New York. And I said, oh, I do understand, of course. This is a terrible day. And she says, Sandy, you don't understand. Andrea is in the building. Mm -hmm. And um, Shelly, my cousin, is the aunt of Andrea Lynn Haberman, who was killed on the 92nd floor. Yeah, the young woman and, from Milwaukee who was, was there. I mean, her, yeah. you know, her, her, her dad, you know, Gordon, is a regular listener and a caller to the yeah, program. I mean, yeah, wow. that is my cousin as well. Wonderful people, and I don't know how. It's clearly changed everyone's lives here. They're very involved in everything. And it's just important that people don't forget how the events of that day have changed everyone's lives who had people close to them. And um, it's just, uh, I'm glad that you do this, because it's so easy that in this society that we just forget and move on very quickly. But for some people, they can never move on. And um, I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not implying anything that I shouldn't on my family. I'm just saying that it clearly has changed their lives immensely. Oh, right. For, for you know, the, the 2,000, you know, plus people who lost their lives. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Sandy. I, I appreciate it so much. And th- th- this is, I, I guess, one of the things we, we tend to, when Whenever people go to the airport, and I plead guilty to this, and you're in the line and you're going, oh, my gosh, I just want to get on the airplane, and I can't believe these people are going through my bags, and, oh, I, I had that little pen knife that's attached here. I can't believe – well, okay, the reason the reason that goes on, and I understand that we're all a little bit annoyed with that, but, but that's – that's the price that we are paying um, as a result of, of what happened. And it's this effort to try to keep us all safe. We are going to continue this for at least a couple more segments. Um, I do this every year. Where were you on September 11th, 2001? And, um, you know, does it seem like it was yesterday? It's 1027. This is Jeff Wagner. If you're on the line, please hold on. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Let's talk to Anna in Appleton. Anna, good morning. Good Anna. morning. Hi, Anna. Where were you on September 11th, 2001? I was in the front seat of a squad car because oh. I was a police officer. Wow. Listening to TMJ, <laughs> as I did all the time, constantly listening to AM radio. Oh, and, and so, um, yeah. Heard, heard the problem that there must be something wrong, must have had a small plane hit the World Tower. Right, yeah. Right, that and, people uh, forget it wasn't initially reported. It was a commercial airliner. I thought this mm-hmm. was some some joker in a private plane that that you know made a mistake and flew into the one tower, and then we found out that wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. So you you know listen more and more in horror, um, wondering what's going on. Either even if it's not a terrorism attack, it's still a you know you've got thousands of people that work in that building. I drove to um, a resident's home. I wanted to watch it on TV and watch the second plane hit. And then we were all called back, and several people were called in, and um, we watched bridges, and we watched um, water treatment plants, and and things like that in the area, and 
Oh, interesting. Okay, so it got expanded from that during the week. Okay, so that right, and see, people again, people forget that that we did not know what the scope of the terrorist threat was, and that was the big question: Are there other airlines? Are there other planes that have been hijacked? Is this just the first step in a broader attack on the U.S.? So you were actually like out out watching water treatment facilities and things like that. Yeah, you know, I guess they probably didn't really know what right. what it could have been, but um, you know, we also um, our jurisdiction abutted a um, the Appleton Airport. Right, and which you know everybody in Milwaukee probably thinks it's this little podunk town, but um, it's a pretty good sized airport. And then, of course, as the you know hours went on, no traffic, and then for days, right, you're not hearing that that buzzing above or seeing helicopters or or anything. It's just it it was eerily air quiet. Yeah, um, ap- I I also was um, only on the job for two years, although I was 34 at that time. And I thought to myself very early on, what did I get myself into? <laughs> yeah. yeah no, thank, thanks for calling. Exactly. Well, no, I mean, that was, I mean, and again, if I, I often talk about in, in the cases of, of natural disasters or, or in this case, times of crisis, I mean, you really see that the best of, of people, and you saw that with certainly the first responders at the Pentagon and certainly the first responders in New York. Um, let's see, in our text line, on September 11th, 2001, I w- it was my 16th birthday. I was sitting in chemistry class watching TV. It feels like it was yesterday. Okay, we're going to continue this. We've got a lot of great calls on the line. Um, I-, I do this because I think it is important that we always remember that horrible day. I'm a little concerned that we have a generation of Americans who weren't alive then, and uh, we-, we need to remember. It's 1036, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Here- here's something that you e- e- even if you remember that day like it was yesterday, it, it, time has, has a funny way of playing tricks with our memories. The entire the entire incident, everything from the from the first plane crashing into the North Tower of the World Trade Center to the collapse of the second tower, and, and this includes the collapse, the, the crash of the plane in Pennsylvania. This includes. Um, the, the flight that, that flew into the Pentagon, the, the entire thing from beginning to end was was 102 minutes. So not that much over, you know, an hour and a half. It, it's it's I think for a lot of people, we were just just absolutely transfixed. But it, it was it was 102 minutes from beginning until end. Now, nobody knew that that was the end. I mean, that was the thing. Are there other planes that have been hijacked? You know, what's going on? Let's talk to Shannon in St. Francis. Shannon, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Um, I was on board the USS Donald Cook, and we were in Yorktown, Virginia, loading missiles and torpedoes. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so within like three hours, we left. Um, all the ships basically that could leave left and surrounded the country. Okay, so where did you go? We well, we they turned off our communications. They said we're headed to New York, but then we ended up going by Cuba. So okay, okay. Well, I mean, after the well, obviously the attack on the World Trade Centers, but after the the plane crash in the Pentagon too, that must have. I, I, there's probably not a higher alert that you guys were on. No, no, and it was just I just got to the ship recently, and I just just thought it was a drill. Right. So we didn't believe anything, and we didn't have, like basically see any news coverage. So we got back like a month later. Oh really? So you? Right. I, I mean, so there was pretty. For, from your perspective, there was kind of there was a news blackout. You weren't hearing what was really going on, huh? Right. We could get some emails coming into us from family, but we couldn't send anything back or 
Hmm. So. I assume that you weren't allowed to tell anybody where you were either. No, that's why. <laughs> yeah, right. They just didn't. They just didn't want you to know. Right. Um, how long? How long did you stay in the military? Um, four years. Okay. And we were the first ship to shoot. The first ship to shoot tomahawks for Operation Iraqi Freedom in 2003. So. Outstanding! Wow. Intense. You had a well. You were you were certainly in the military during a tumultuous time. No <laughs> doubt about that. <laughs> That's interesting. Thank, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Thank you for your service. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Janet in Milwaukee. Janet, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Where were you on September 11th? Well, I was working, um, but I wanted to share the um, impact it had on my son. You mentioned earlier that there's a whole generation of young people who weren't alive at that time. Right. And I, I do believe that my son is one of the last to remember. He was five, almost turning six at the time. Right. And he um, he remembers coming home, and the first time he ever saw his dad cry was that day. He um, It impacted him to the point where he wanted to pursue a military career from when he was very little. About the time he was six, he said, I want to be in the Army. Um, he learned about West Point. He was on a track to try to get into an academy. He... Um, did decide to go to the Naval Academy instead. Um, he did everything he could through his um, school years to try to put himself in a good position as far as leadership positions and sports and um, activities. And he got his Eagle Scout, and he, he just made sure he was in a good position. He actually didn't get in the first time despite having, a, you know, two congressional nominations, but he kept trying. And he's now in his third year at the Naval Academy, and um, he has been laser-focused since 9-11 to serve his country and assure this never happens again. And I, we're so proud of him. Um, but he is, I really believe, one of the last to remember right. that day. Well, I mean, I, I'm trying to when, – when President Kennedy well, – if, if you were alive when President Kennedy was assassinated, you remember that. I was I – was, probably six years old then and i mean i i remember that and and right i mean I, if you're certainly younger than five or six you're probably not going to recall this but the in, interestingly janet you're you are convinced that september 11th 2001 helped shape your son's career choices absolutely in fact this morning i dug out a t-shirt he got back then and it's a it's a it's a t-shirt that has the new york landscape on it and it says never forget and I took a picture of it, and I sent it to him, and he said, absolutely. Hmm. Yeah, he's still, he wore that T-shirt for 10 years, even though it didn't fit anymore. <laughs> um, he takes it very seriously, his patriotism. He doesn't mess around. People disrespect the flag. Um, he's very outspoken for his country, and I thank God that we have a volunteer military who, like him, wants to serve. Um, I, I know you said earlier you were very proud of your son. It sounds like you have every reason to be. Thank you. Thanks I for, think I do. Thanks for joining us. I appreciate it. For, and, and that is interesting. And, that, again, that's one of the reasons why we do this. I mean, it's uh, uh, every day, every year when September 11th rolls around because it's it's now been – it has been 16 years. So again, if you're if you're 20 or younger, you, you probably it's something that you you hear your you know older siblings talk about, or you hear mom and dad, or maybe grandma and grandpa talk about. You don't remember what happened that day. Gary in Greenfield. Gary, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. Uh, certainly appreciate to talk about this uh, 
tragedy. I remember it well because I was working for Midwest Airlines at the time. I was a gate agent, and I was working gate D-37. We had just sent a plane down the runway heading for New York. And this was long before we had all the TVs in the concourse. Right. And, and so we only depended on word of mouth. All of a sudden, the plane, before it took off, came back to the gate, unloaded all the passengers. They were very upset. Sure. We got, we got a phone call. I got a phone call at the gate saying that there was a mid-air crash in New York, and they were just going to hold for a minute, and they wanted everyone back. But I'll tell you what, in a matter of 10 or 15 minutes, the county sheriffs came down the concourse all the way to the end at gate D49 and started saying, folks, you got to leave. We went down the concourse, took the jetway away from the plane, locked the door. We had to leave. And I'll tell you, those sheriffs, they were very organized. They got that airport cleared out pretty quick. And I got to imagine at the time, no, I, I, at the time, my guess is you had a whole bunch of, of hostile travelers who were going, what do you mean? We're we're getting ready to jump on our flight to Las Vegas or whatever. What do you mean we have to leave? Because nobody really knew what was going on then, right? You, you know <laughs> exactly, because we'd always say, if there are crabby people out there, those folks from New York. <laughs> just a joke. Just right, a joke. sure. But they were very upset. They wanted to be rebooked somewhere close by. And, boy, at the time, the sheriff said, sorry, folks, you've got to get out of the airport. Right. Um, just amazing. Now, thanks for the call. We continue the conversation. If you're on the line, please hold on. We're going to get to as many calls as we possibly can before the top of the hour. It's 1044. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1047. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. This is one of the rare occasions when I devote actually an hour of airtime to a particular topic, September 11th, 2001. It, it is a, a seminal event in our lives. Uh, my parents told me that if you were of that generation, you remembered where you were when you learned the news of Pearl Harbor. Um, again, if you are, I, I was five or six years old when President Kennedy was assassinated. You remember where you are, were when that news came out. Maybe there's a couple other things as well, maybe the, the Challenger explosion, but, but certainly Pearl Harbor, uh, the Kennedy assassination, and September 11th, 2011, now, um, 2001, now 16 years ago. Let's talk to Mark in South Milwaukee. Mark, good morning. Good morning. How are you doing, Jeff? I'm well, thank you. Where were you on September 11th? I was on my way to Philadelphia. I had left uh, uh, Milwaukee and was headed towards Philadelphia. Um, can't remember the time, but came on the radio, on the overhead in the plane, and they said we're returning back to Midway and that there was nothing wrong with the plane. It was just that the tower had requested we come back. Okay. So and they turned around and they landed, and the only thing that's real vivid in my mind was I got off the plane and walked down the jetway, and there was um, a LaGuardia plane that had come back, uh, had just landed from LaGuardia, and the people were hugging each other, and they were watching the TV, and I turned around and looked at the TV, and, and it was... Uh, the second plane was just going in. Wow. And um, the problem was, then it all turned to me, because where do you go? They locked down the airport. There was no place you could go. Um, finally, later that evening almost, I think it was like 5 or 6 o'clock, they let us out. I couldn't find a hotel room, couldn't find a car rental, couldn't find anything. Finally figured out that if I took a cab to the train, I could take the train back to Woodstock. And then in Woodstock, I could get back home. Right. So that's 
that was that was the only way to get back home, and there was no place to go. No, it. I mean, thank and people. I mean, I, I just I remember. I mean, I remember the images of of New York essentially being evacuated. I mean, by by evacuated, I mean all the you know the people who who worked in downtown New York who had come in from you know the, the surrounding states and the surrounding counties, trying to figure out how those people were going to get home. And again, one of the things while, while this only took a hundred and two minutes, I mean, it was the the first tower being hit to the the second tower collapsing that that's only 102 minutes but it's 102 minutes that nobody knew what was going on and then for hours and days afterwards nobody knew was this just the first wave you know what else is there that, that's coming annabelle and shawno annabelle thanks for waiting here at 620 btmj good morning hi i was actually teaching at a third grade here but um, I want to share somebody else's story. Um, yesterday at church, we have a new minister, and his wife actually was teaching in Philadelphia at the time. There were like 4,000 students in the high school, and she said about a few hundred parents actually worked in New York. She said they started getting announcements over the loudspeaker and announcements over the loudspeaker and having different people go to different areas, and they called for all the kids who had parents that worked in New York oh. to assemble in one area. Oh. And, um, you know... Eventually, you know, they told the kids what was going on. Uh, but the thing is, one of, uh, one of the students actually had a parent that was a pilot on one of those fla- planes. One of the hijacked planes? No, no, oh. Yeah, yeah, correct. Oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> yeah, and so she said, you know, how what that was like for everybody. But, like, over three, three, 400 kids had parents worked in New York. So they were, you know. Oh, they got, so they got separated out. Oh. Yeah, well, oh. so they could tell them. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Right, but of course, the, at, at the time, what what can they tell them? I mean, because yeah. at the time they, they didn't know, you know, where the parents were, or whatever. Just that there's been a terrorist attack in New York City. Exactly, and then slowly, she said at first it was kind of funny because teachers that had a break at that time were called, you know, aside to tell them what was going on. And she said it was just for the first couple hours it was kind of, you know, very confusing for everybody. But you yeah, had those poor those poor kids. Oh yeah. Oh, thanks. I mean, again, and this is it's it's just. I, I guess I, it's just important to go back and just remember how shocked and how stunned we were. Are and it really was. I mean, I've described this this way before. It really was the age, the end of an age of innocence. I mean, t- up until September 11th, I, I think terrorism was always something that we thought of. It, it happened somewhere else. Okay, yes. If you if you grow up, if you live in Israel, you understand that's been going on. If you live in Europe, you know you've had terrorist groups that that you know have been been operating for years and years. But you, you didn't think about that happening on, on U.S. soil, and it's definitely it has changed our way of of thinking. There's just no question about it. It's changed our lifestyle. And again, I always try to remind myself when I'm frustrated at this search or or that search, well, okay, there's a reason for it, and it goes back to September 11th. Denise in Plymouth. Denise, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Denise. Hello. Hi, Denise. Hi. So my husband and I were in the Bahamas. It was our... First morning there, we got there late on the 10th, and so we couldn't wait to get out to the beach and hang out. So probably about two hours after it happened, we started finding out what was going on. In the lobby, they had um, put up a, a makeshift memorial type thing, and all the people were there surrounded and crying and holding each other, and all the activities were canceled. and. Yeah. It, it was a mess. It was it was shocking, and it was very just quiet. And it wasn't like a 
It wasn't the vacation you were planning. <laughs> it was not. That's for sure. Were you able to? Did you have to? Did you have to stay longer? Were you able to get back? Because I know. I mean, air travel was suspended for the better part of a week, as I recall. Right. We were we were there for ten days, so we were able to just stay our stay and get back with no problem. But the people that were ready to leave, um, they were able to fly out to Nassau, and they got stuck in Nassau. And I don't know how long they waited there, but they were stuck there. So, right. um, yeah, yeah. I, no, yeah. no th- th- thanks, Scott. Like I say, I, good friends of mine were on their way. They were in the air between, I forget where they were flying back in Europe, but they were coming into, I don't know if they were coming into, I don't know, remember where they were coming in, uh, whether it was New York or D.C. or Philadelphia or whatever, but they were going to take the flight and then they were going to go to Milwaukee. Uh, did not happen, so they spent a week in Nova Scotia. Let's talk to, um, let's see, we've got uh, Shirley in Greenfield. Shirley, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Yes, good morning, Jeff. Uh, at that time, my husband and I were still living in Marshfield, and both of us had retired from the clinic, and we were at a symposium that day in St. Joseph's Hospital. And oddly enough, the symposium was the title of a humor in the workplace. <laughs> I mean, isn't that ironic? It's like, oh, my gosh, and we got in the car, and we couldn't figure out what in the world they were talking about with stuff going on in New York, you know. And then, finally, we got the whole story and watched television, and thought, oh, my gosh, and uh, humor in the workplace that was just too much to take it doesn't seem like it's 16 years no, either doesn't you, you know, know and i also you, you know one of the things that the media got criticized for you talk about watching television i don't know if you remember but they kept showing that the same pictures of the the plane flying into the tower over yes. and over and over and over again and I, I do remember at some point in time thinking okay have we reached the point where enough is enough i mean how how many times do we need to see this it's because it's just it's so grotesque especially once you understand what was going on here right right thank you i hope you have a great day thanks for the call shirley i Mm -hmm. I do i do appreciate that um um, we could obviously continue this for another hour but i I just i i I do this every year because again i i don't i think it is too important an event it is a seminal event in the lives of of every american and we, we just, we cannot forget this. We cannot allow ourselves to become historically ignorant. What we also forget is how this was a situation where the country came together. There weren't conservatives and liberals. There weren't Democrats. There weren't Republicans. We were all, for at least one, one period of time, we were all, we were all Americans. And then inevitably time goes on and the divisions start to reappear. But again, for the, the first responders, all the people in New York and at the Pentagon who were running one way when everybody else was running the other. I mean, it's just, it is just a tribute to the bravery. It is a tribute to the, the sacrifices that people make. It was a horrible time that certainly, um, what's, what's the phrase, the best of times, the worst of times. Certainly the worst of times, but it brought out in some cases the best of people. We cannot, not, not, we can never forget um, the lessons of September 11th. It's 1057. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1109. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Um, if, 
If you want to hear the entire show, but you're not around from 8.30 to noon on a particular day, you can go to our mobile app page. We, we do the podcast. I know a lot of you listen to the podcast, and I very much appreciate it. On thir- last Thursday, it was kind of an interesting day because I was joined by a woman who is a reporter from the – it's like the second – it was the third largest newspaper in, in Japan – um, circulation of 3.5 million people. And, and most of the time when I, I get requests to, you know, do interviews or to have people come and sit in the studio during a show, I almost always say no. And, and my thinking is generally I, I've got three and a half hours a day to talk to you about what I think is important. I, I don't need to have whatever I think filtered through someone else. But in this particular case, when the Japanese newspaper reached out, and I, I don't know why they, they picked TMJ or why they picked me, but they, they were – they were. It was presented to me that people in Japan legitimately curious about Donald Trump and how the Trump presidency is is going. And you know, the, the reporter, for example, who was here, she was based out of Los Angeles, and she was telling me that you know the, the perception you get in Los Angeles is not necessarily the perception you get about what's happening in in the Midwest. And they wanted to come out and they wanted to get that perspective. You know, that's why we actually spent an hour. And it was kind of an electronic town hall, and I gave you the opportunity to interact with her, and and we you know we talked about the Trump administration. We took calls on all different sides of the aisle, and I, I knew it was eye opening. After we got done, we, we sat down, and, and she did about a half hour interview with me. And one of the things that she kept coming back to was the question of how was it that Hillary Clinton lost? Because I think that was to. And again, I, you know, to, to people in Japan, to her readership and to her, and I think that that was the most that was the thing that they just didn't understand. This was Hillary Clinton. This was this famous woman who'd been on the national stage for, you know, decades. How was it that she could have lost to somebody like Donald Trump? And I, I swear that this when we were doing our interview afterwards, Hiromi must have asked me variations of that question three or four times. You know, what what do you think happened? And I said, well, here's. Here's kind of my analysis of this. I said, what what you need to understand is Hillary Clinton was incredibly unpopular. She just was, was I, I, Republicans didn't like her. Lots of independents didn't like her. And lots of Democrats didn't like her. Now, I'm not saying those Democrats necessarily ran out to vote for Donald Trump, but they didn't like Hillary Clinton. So I think a lot of people just stayed home, that it wasn't. Russian hacking or things like that. It was the fact that she was an awful candidate. And people just, they, she was yesterday's news, and, and she just, the, the fact that people did not like her was, I think, something that a lot of people just didn't anticipate or didn't realize, you know, how, how unpopular she was. And I kept saying, I, I think in many cases, you know, Trump had two things going for him. One, he was not Hillary Clinton. And secondly, it was he was viewed by some as an agent of change. That is, okay, here's this guy who's this outsider. He's going to come in, and, and he's going to shake things up. And I said that helped him, at least in my opinion, make inroads into some areas that were traditionally more Democratic. In Wisconsin, you know, we had not gone for Republican for president since the second term, second Reagan term, 1984. I think, you know, what ended up happening is, first of all, you had a lot of people who just – either didn't like Hillary Clinton or weren't excited by her, who ended up sitting it out. 
Plus, you had some of the people that might have otherwise been Clinton voters, some of the traditional sort of blue-collar Reagan Democrats who said, okay, let, let's give Trump a try. And I kept trying to explain that. And I'll, when the article ultimately comes out, I'll, I'll see whether <laughs> – and my theory could be completely all wet, but that, that was my theory. I said it was it was a factor not as much of Trump's popularity – but a factor of the fact that people just did not like Hillary Clinton. Well, I bring this up because Hillary Clinton's new book um, is coming out tomorrow. The book is called What Happened? And she's now making the tours of the various shows. She sat down with Katie Couric the other day, um, and she's, she sat down with uh, on CBS News with Jane uh, Pauly as well. And she's out there, and she's trying to she's, – she's pitching the book, and she's going around, and she's, you know, making – you know, the, again, the rounds to try to generate publicity for it. And, you know, she's, you know, and she's, I don't know if I'm going to read the book. I, I don't know. But, I mean, the newspaper accounts of it, you know, she says, well, she's never going to be a candidate for anything again, which I, I think probably smart. She says she can, wants to continue to participate in the ongoing dialogue um, as other failed presidential candidates have, and I understand that. She is critical of, like, James Comey, for example, who I think she believes cost her the election. She acknowledges that she made mistakes. She said, in retrospect, I shouldn't have taken all that money and given speeches in front of the um, investment bankers because that was an issue that, you know, that people turned on me. So, I, I mean, again, I, I don't know. Apparently, the book contains a lengthy explanation uh, of why she used and a defense of why she used the private email stuff yeah okay but but at the end of the day i mean she's again giving her variation of this all right we are what 200 plus days into the trump administration hillary clinton still describes herself as gobsmacked <laughs> by by the fact that she lost she's in these interviews she's saying i, I hadn't even I, we, we didn't have a concession speech that it didn't occur to me that I was going to lose. I spent all my time working on the acceptance speech, and then all of a sudden, boom, things have changed. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are you sorry that Hillary Clinton is not the president today? She lost in November. Yes, I know she won the popular vote, but we don't, it's not how we decide who the president is. She lost... We've now had the first couple hundred days of the Trump administration. Do you wish that Hillary had become the president? 414-799-1620. I will tell you where I come down, and we will discuss next. It's 1116. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. And that was one of the questions that the lady from the Japanese newspaper asked me. Stick around. It's 1118, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. What led Peter Barker to step down as the Democrats' leader in the state assembly this week? Should he have faced the consequence for his yes vote on the Foxconn incentive package? Scafidi and Bilstadt take a deeper dive at 2.07 today. Okay, so this woman I was talking to from the Japanese newspaper, she, she, she was really legitimately trying to get her head around how it was that Hillary Clinton lost. She was completely surprised. Hillary Clinton's got a new book coming out. She describes herself as being gobsmacked that, that it happened. All right, 200 days into the Trump administration. Are you sorry she lost? 414-799-1620. I will tell you this. I understand that President Trump has been controversial. I understand that there's things he's done that, quite candidly, I wish he wouldn't have done. 
I'm not sorry Hillary Clinton lost at all. I still think the American public got it right. Sue and Hartland. Sue, you're first. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I am very happy that Hillary is not in. Even with all the controversy surrounding President Trump? Absolutely. He has done a few silly things that he probably shouldn't have done, including all his tweeting. But he's also done some very wise things. People forget that he is not a politician. He is a business person, and he is doing a lot of things that, in the long run, I think are going to be good for our country. Um, yeah, well, it, well, exactly. And I think, I just think Hillary Clinton would have been more same old, same old. Um, you know, Absolutely. no question about it. I just, I, again, I, I think... If there had, if the Democrats had nominated somebody different, I think the dynamic would be different. But, but the truth is, people just didn't want four more years of Hillary Clinton. I think she had played her time on the national stage. I think we also did not want four more years of the democratic process and the lying and the cheating and the underhanded things that Obama and a lot of his people were guilty of. Yeah, thanks for the call. I mean, certainly, I, I mean, I, I mean, Barack Obama would have, if Barack Obama was able to run for a third term, he would have won a third term. I, I think, I think that's just the reality of this. But, but Hillary Clinton was not Barack Obama. I mean, you you saw this. I mean, Hillary Clinton thought she was entitled to be the nominee when she ran against Barack Obama. And just like Republicans have from time to time made the mistake of saying it's this person's turn. You know, Bob Dole was nominated to run against uh, Bill Clinton when he was up for, you know, reelection. Bob Dole had no chance of beating Bill Clinton. I don't know if any Republican could have done it, but but Bob Dole wasn't the guy to do it. But he got the nomination because it was his turn. Democrats thought it's Hillary Clinton's turn. Well, I think they're coming to regret that. Russell in Brookfield. Russell, you're on 620 WTMJ. Yes, I'm not sorry that um, uh, President Trump won. But uh, the reason, if you want to tell this Japanese um, journalist something, the reason she didn't win is that she never gave people a reason to vote for her. She, unlike, let's say, Barack Obama, never held public office in his life and never ran a Kool-Aid stand. Right. But he he had a certain charisma about him, and certainly, and he ran on the phrase, hope and change. Those three words changed his whole political career and the direction of this country by having a slogan that she had nothing but uh, a vote for me is not a vote for Trump or something. And that isn't enough. Right. That clearly isn't enough for this country. Well, no, you know, and you, it's interesting you should mention that because you saw that play out in Wisconsin. Remember after Act 10, there was all the consternation. You know, we, we hate Scott Walker. He's done all these terrible sort of things. And whether it was Tom Barrett or, you know, the, the, the people they, they propped up to run against uh, Walker three or four years ago, being against Scott Walker was not enough to win. You're right. You've got to offer an alternative vision and then argue why that vision is better. Exactly. And no. people picked up on hope and change, and she had nothing to pick up on at right. all. Uh, right, exactly. No, thanks. I, I, right, I, I see, I agree with you completely. Plus, and this was the point I kept making, I just, she was, she was, people just didn't like her. I mean, I have, I have, believe it or not, I have lots of friends, people close to me who are Democrats. And I'm not saying that they didn't necessarily vote for Hillary, but they weren't enthusiastic about her. I mean, my late wife, who was a Democrat, just she would have voted for Hillary, but she didn't like her. I mean, she just thought she was dishonest. She just did, flat out didn't like her. She would not have been enthused had she you know, had the opportunity to vote and given that choice. But, you know, this question of... Am I sorry that Hillary Clinton isn't the president? Absolutely not. 
I acknowledge that there probably would have been less drama over the last 200 days and that she would have been a darling of the mainstream media. But no, I, I, as far as the policies that she was going to implement, I'm not, I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry at all. Let's talk to Sandy in Wauwatosa. Sandy, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, am I sorry that uh, Hillary is that president? No, I am not. In fact, I've often said I, I would have voted for Mickey Mouse over Hillary. I do think that uh, President Trump could be a little more pres- presidential at times. However, I honestly believe if he found a cure for cancer, uh, the mainstream media would say, well, you didn't find it for MS. <laughs> I think he's getting a rough shot there. Um, and I really, truly believe he does love our country and is trying uh, to do the best. That's my thought. Yeah, no, well, again, I, I think so. I mean, I'm not, I, I mean, I, I understand if I look at the Supreme Court, we would have a different justice on the Supreme Court were it Hillary. We would have a continuation of, she would have been Barack Obama, but she would have been a even more leftist version of Barack o- Obama. And I just, I don't think that that's good for the country. Now, do I wish we had less drama? Yeah, I, I, I absolutely do. And I keep hoping that maybe President Trump is going to dial that back. Now, why I'm hoping that, I don't know, because I acknowledge that when you're 72 years old, you probably you are what you are. But at the same time, and I was trying to explain this to this Japanese reporter, no, I, I don't think the majority of I don't think the majority of Trump voters, maybe maybe people might be disappointed with his performance. But I don't think the majority of people say, gee, I wish I voted for Hillary Clinton. I, I just think. That, that's just not the, you know, not the case. Let's talk to Dave in Fort Atkinson. Dave, you're on 620 WTMJ. Yes, Jeff. Uh, Hi, thanks for taking my call. Sure. I, I, I really think you're, you are right on as far as not wanting Hillary. I didn't want Hillary in there. but And I do cringe at times with the Trumpster. But uh, I think the vote against Hillary, I think people understood how embedded she was in Washington and they uh, vote against Hillary was basically a vote against socialism, and I think people uh, mm-hmm. they, they 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 don't really necessarily care for Trump, and I think Trump is trying. I think we need to give him a chance, but I think he's being uh, uh, beaten up on too much by both sides. But Hillary, I'm I'm happy Trump's in there. I wouldn't want Hillary. I think she's people have recognized she was too indebted in the special interest and yeah. and with her policy we would be worse off now than yeah yeah thank th- and that's what i was trying to explain to this reporter i said I, again people I, I think there is a frustration with president trump i i get that and i share that on some issues but i don't i don't get this sense that oh my gosh the you know we th- this is just so terrible hillary clinton would have been so wonderful no i mean i i think most people most people are glad that she did not win mike on the northwest side mike you're on 620 wtmj good morning Hey, good morning, Jeff. Uh, I agree with you on everything, every point you've said. I think uh, the main reason I think uh, people uh, really just got tired of the Clintons and Bushes being in office, and uh, the hope and change thing for Barack Obama kind of worked and probably worked for him again for a third term. Right. But uh, Trump's three words, drain the swamp, uh, worked for him. No, it re- no, you're, you're right, Mike. It resonated. No, thanks to Calm. Sorry, I'm kind of against the clock. It, it kind of resonated. It 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 did. And um, whether or not you're satisfied that the swamp is being drained, you know, quickly enough or whatever, that that's a whole different story. But I just 
I think among mainstream America, the people that voted for President Trump, I don't think that there's any just regret that, gee, Hillary Clinton would have been, you know, she her face would have been up there on Mount Rushmore had the American people gotten it right. I just don't get that sense at all. 1128, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Hey, coming up in just a couple minutes, it's one of the true outrages of Hurricane Irma. We'll discuss. It's 11.35, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. There are stories that I find especially troubling, that are just so mind-boggling to me that I find them almost unbelievable. Now, just by way of background, if you are a regular listener of this program, you know, I have a little dog. Um, I, I grew up with dogs. Most of my adult life did not have one. When my late wife was diagnosed with cancer, she said, let's get a dog. So what do you, And she'd always wanted one, and I'd kind of been, well, what do we want a dog for? Got the dog, um, and it was one of the best decisions I ever made in, in my life. Um, you know, my dog's now two years old, and the, the dog, um, when we were going through, like, the cancer battle, it, the dog was just something that kind of distracted our mind from it. And then, you know, the, the last year, year and a half, um, just, just having the dog as part of my life has been just incredible. And the woman I am marrying <laughs> just has fallen in love with the dog as well. So it's, it, it's, it's, it's just great. So, I mean, seriously, my, my dog is part of my, my family. It, she just is. Um, and, and I can't tell you, you know, how I just feel about this and how much this, having this dog has added to my life. So I, I can't there's some stuff I just can't imagine. Just like I can't imagine the people who put their children in cages or whatever. Th- th- this story, I could feel my blood pressure going up. Um, all right, there. I understand that you've got, you know, all sorts of things going on when you have the hurricanes. But but here here is the story. Authorities in South Florida may may pursue felony charges against people who abandoned their animals as Hurricane Irma approached the Florida Peninsula. Palm Beach County Animal Care and Control Director uh, Diane Suave said the agency received roughly 40 dogs in the days before Irma made landfall in Florida. Some were tied up. Others were in pens or in enclosed yards, unable to escape. All right, now let me put some perspective on this. You have a hurricane that is heading for where you live. There's going to be storm surge. There's going to be flooding. The concern is get out because people will drown. So what do a bunch of these low lives do? They bail. But they leave their animals behind. And in many cases, they don't just leave their animals behind. They leave their animals chained to poles or trees in backyards, stuck in pens, or in enclosed yards, unable to escape. So in other words, when the water comes in, you've got a dog that's in an enclosed pen. That dog is going to drown, and you take off. Um, the, the Florida Department of Public Health issued a statement on Saturday saying don't leave your dogs tied up or chained when evacuating. Floodwaters are dangerous for people or pets. Now, first of all, there, if, if you've got to tell somebody, gee, there's a flood coming and you don't leave your dog chained up or stuck in a pen, I mean, that, that in and of itself says that you must have an IQ somewhere below plant life. 
Um, but anyhow, a lot of people apparently did that. And this happened, by the way, in Hurricane Harvey as well. But I was just looking at some of these reports out of South Florida. Um, the agency, this is what they say, will pursue felony animal cruelty charges um, against anybody for the, the pets that they and the pets that they have recovered, assuming that they are able to identify who the pet owner is that left the pet behind. You know, they're going to pursue felony animal cruelty charges uh, against them. And in addition, you know, they're going to say that, you know, we're, we're also going to make sure that you never, you know, get a pet from us again. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I understand that, you know, animal life is different than human life. And I understand that you might be listening to me, and if you didn't grow up around animals or you don't have pets yourself, you you might say, well, it's a dog. It's a cat. You know, what's the difference? You you have to, you know, you have to be safe, you know, and you you have to get out. And and I I understand, well, first of all, I understand the part about, yes, you have to be safe and you have to get out. But at the same time, who could leave, who could leave their pet behind, chained to a tree, stuck in an enclosed jar that they can't get out of, stuck in a pen that they can't get out of, what type of person could possibly do that? It seems to me that if you take on the responsibility of having a pet, that means you take on the responsibility of keeping that pet safe and not leaving that pet, again, behind in a time of crisis. And I will tell you, For every one of the people that they are able to identify that left a dog or a cat, that left a pet behind, yes, I would support animal cruelty charges, and I would support sending those people to prison. Is that too harsh? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And and I'm sorry, I I don't want to hear this, well, what were they supposed to do? Well, that's, that's what you think about before you end up making the decision to own a pet. Who could leave the family dog? Who could believe leave the cats just behind to fend for themselves in this case of, of flooding? Much less, and of course, some of these people, they didn't even just leave the dogs behind. They left the dogs trapped in a situation where the dogs would not be able to get out. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. People discuss what the consequences should be. Is it too harsh to hold people accountable and issue criminal charges against anybody that bailed out in the face of the hurricane and left their animal behind? My answer is absolutely not. I understand you wouldn't leave your kid behind. I get it that children are different than pets. But at the same time, if you're going to be a pet owner, you have that responsibility. 414-799-1620. I say charge them to the max and yeah, I if if I was a judge, and maybe this, like I say, is a reason I won't be a judge. If I was a judge and I heard somebody had left their dog in the wake of a natural disaster, chained to a tree or in, stuck in an enclosed pen facing a flood, you bet that person would be in prison. All right, we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's eleven forty-two. Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. <laughs> Eleven forty-five. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. Let's see our text line. I heard about this yesterday on NPR. See Scott Wars, who's now producing the show. Got people listening to me and NPR. How about that? Absolutely sickened. Felony? Hell yes. I can't even believe people are this disgusting. 
Um, all right. Now, here's another one, though, on a text line. A pet is in the eye of the beholder. Hmm. There are people in the world who eat dogs. Um, there are people in the world who, you know, can farm pigs. Um, some people love spiders. Um, the idea is, I'm not saying leaving a dog to a tree is chained. It's right. But who decides where the lawn is, where the line is drawn? Well, I, I'll decide on this one. I mean, I, I don't know if you've got a spider collection, if you take the spider collection with you, if you're facing a hurricane. But I do know... In a civilized society, if you have a pet, you do not leave the pet chained behind to drown in a hurricane. Um, all right, Kim says, what if they're going somewhere that does not allow pets? Um, sorry, I, th- th- that, that's the responsibility you have. They are living things. You, you, you figure out what the alternative is. You figure out who it is that's going to take care of the animal. You take the animal with you. Um, what if you're going somewhere that does not allow pets? Sorry, um, that's, uh, that's, that's just not, that is not, you know, an excuse. Let's see a text. I agree. It's just cruel to leave an animal in a disaster. The pet is dependent on its owner for proper care and safety. Um, yeah. I mean that's the plan. Gee, you're leaving. You're living in the Florida Keys. You, you've got you've got domesticated dogs. Yeah, I think part of the plan might be. Gee, if we've got to get out of here, what do we do with the dogs? But under no circumstances do you leave the dog behind to drown, trapped in a pen. For God's sake, let's talk to Dave hey. in Waukesha. Dave, good morning. Hey Jeff, how are you? Good. What do you think? Well, I don't definitely throw the book at him. I mean, there's no, no no reason why not. And one of the things. That I was listening to one of the shows that was nonstop, you know, on, on Fox during the whole thing. It was actually kind of interesting. It was they, they said one of the lessons learned from Katrina was yes. why they had such a hard time getting people evacuated because they couldn't take their pets, so they would stay behind. Yeah. So one of the things that they actually made purposeful on the on both in Texas and in Florida was announcing the fact that yes, take your pets, and we have lists of shelters, we have different yes. shelters that will accommodate for them and everything else. And even worse comes to worse, even if they don't do that. For God's sake, open up the gate and let the dogs' own survival instincts take over there. Right. right. Yeah. I mean, change. Right. Change to a tree in the face of you know a six foot storm surge. What do you think is going to happen to you know the the dog? That you guarantee that that dog is going to drown. Well, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean people go to j- people go to jail. I you know Michael Vick for for dog fighting. At least the dog has a chance with its own <laughs> fighting instincts, but, I mean, this is, I mean, you might as well just shoot the damn thing. You know, I mean, that's, that's ridiculous. Um, absolutely. 414-799-1620. Uh, let's see. Luann in Grafton. Luann, you're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I say throw the book at them. I, uh, years and years ago, uh, when the Big Bear Fire in Alaska, my sister had a friend that lived there, and I still, and there's a lot of news coverage on it because it was such a huge fire. And I still remember listening to the radio that her dog Blue burnt. And I'm, and I, I just, I cannot get it out of my never this disaster. Blue burnt. She nope. would have sat on the back of her shoulders. It would just stuff them underneath by the seat of the car. You, you had room for stuff in your car, but you didn't have room for your dog. You left them chained to the backyard where you couldn't even run right. to escape the fire. Well, right. I, yeah. I just have no conscience. Well, right. Exactly. No, again, right. At least, at the very least, now, if you can't take your pet with you, but again, I don't buy that notion that you can't take your pet with you. But right, at least. 
Then you decide, okay, I, I'm going to let them loose like we, you guys are both saying the last two callers. So we're at least going to give them a chance to try to get free. But but at the same time, if, if you're going to have a pet, when you make that decision, and, and actually, I mean, our producer, Scott Warris, said, well, you know, would your position have been different before you got a dog? And I said, well, I, I don't know. But, I, I mean, I do know that at, if you have an animal that you've invited in and it's part of your family. Now, look, I, I understand a dog is different than your kid, things like that. But if for, for people who have pets and make that decision, and I'm not talking about goldfish, and I'm not talking about the, animal, the ant farm or things like that, I mean, that pet becomes a part of your family. And it seems to me that any sort of escape plan has to include, you know, what are we going to do with the dog? Let's talk to Bradley in Green Bay. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hey, good morning, Jeff. Good morning. Um, I just, I got to say, I, I'm a uh, new dog owner, meaning uh, my wife grew up with dogs. I uh, just got a dog a couple years ago from a, a shelter, and I got to say, like, there's a responsibility that comes with that. That doesn't just mean, oh, it's, it's a fun little dog to adopt and play with for a little bit, and then you get sick of it or whatever. It, it, there's a responsibility. This absolutely baffles me and, and listening to some of the texts that i heard from you mentioning I, I i just can't imagine people justifying in any way well if you what if you couldn't take your dog with you you find a way you have a responsibility to a living being right, right a living right a, a living thing that you have that you've right you've taken on that responsibility and again i'm i'm not equating you know the family pet with the with the you know with with your infant. I mean, I'm not making that argument, but right, you've right. taken that responsibility, and this idea that well, I couldn't figure out where to go with the dog. That you know, bull, <laughs> just yeah, bull. I you know. know, and I, I appreciate uh, you know a platform like this where there's a voice of reason that says, um, are, "Are you guys for real? Are, are you serious?" Because you don't chain up your dog and say, "Well, it'll just drown." How how do those People even say, well, see you, see you later, Fido. Right, exactly. Okay, I'll, I'll be back in a week, and if you're here, well, okay, that's great. Otherwise, you know, it's been a good life. No, thanks. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just infuriating. It, it just, I, I'm sorry, it's infuriating. And I, I, I understand why they're chaining up. They're thinking, well, okay, we don't want the dogs to run loose because then what's going to happen is, like, the animal control people will grab them, and they won't give the dog back to us. Well, yeah, that's, that's pretty much what's going to happen they're not going to give the dog back to you but the truth of the matter is at least in my opinion if if you're going to leave a dog behind in the face of a natural disaster you you shouldn't be allowed to own dogs and to me this is animal cruelty in 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 the extreme i mean it's just you you know you you just cannot or you should not be able to do this I, i'm sorry period